This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast. Now, this is a podcast dedicated to helping project managers sharpen their project management skills. Once again, my name is Matt Douglas, and I'll be your host. And in this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, I'm going to be talking with Pedro Constanzo. Pedro is a National Collaboration Director at Burns & McDonald, but we're going to be talking today about his expertise related to project management in the context of engineering, infrastructure design, and specifically military-based development. With that, let's jump right in. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. All right, it's now time for our PM Conversation of the Week with Pedro Constanzo. Pedro, welcome to the Engineering Project Management Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you, Matt. Excited to be here with you today. So can you start by telling us a little bit about your role at Burns & McDonald and your career path leading up to the current position that you're in? So I'm an electrical engineer uh, by trade. That's where I went to school. I had a big love for math, Matt, and that drove me to, to electrical engineering. Made my way to school in the LSU, uh, Baton Rouge, and uh, ended up uh, getting an entry-level position here at Burns & McDonald in Kansas City. And so as an electrical engineer, you know, I spent really the first part of my career getting to know the work as an electrical. You know, I would be paired up with senior electricals. I would be given different tasks. And as I went through and had more command of the different tasks, uh, then, you know, I got more responsibility eventually getting to a point where I could be the lead electrical on projects. And really in the consulting world, Matt, which is where I'm at, uh, electrical engineers, there's a wide range of different specialties that you'll get into as you begin your career and as you advance. And and so as you begin to get more comfortable with those, you get to develop an interest in one or the other. So you go along, you then you start leading projects few more years in, then you become a senior electrical. And as a senior electrical, you get uh, junior electricals that are assigned to you and, and the kind of the role flips. Now you're mentoring junior engineers and helping them out in their career. And so that was the same for me. You know, I went through and, and got to the point where I was a senior electrical. I was managing electrical projects where I was the leading teams of multiple electrical engineers. And then that led me to uh, really a passion for just that, for mentoring, for helping people along in their career. And at that point, I took uh, more of a, a people manager role 
So I was uh, electrical department manager uh, for our team. I did that for about seven years. Uh, and that was, boy, what a great time in my career to be able to be part of somebody's uh, progression and kind of help them along and help them maximize their potential. So I did that for a group of, when I got it, we were about 40 people. We grew it to about 65. And it's probably one of the highlights, Matt, of my career is just uh, getting a chance to grow that group and work directly with folks. From there, you know, as, as I transitioned out of uh, electrical department manager, I had an interest in doing some project management, right? So uh, throughout the course of the development, obviously working in projects, you get a chance to interact with the rest of the team and the project managers. And that was always an interest I had uh, to try to dabble onto it. And so I took on uh, the role of project manager, working on both sides of our business line. So where I work, we have projects on the aviation side, we have projects on the military side, a lot of bed down programs. And so for about seven years, I took on the task of being project manager, working on a variety of different projects uh, for our different clients. I want to talk about stress management in particular. Obviously, with the range of projects that you're doing, now you're doing things that are multidisciplinary. Through your track, you got there. How do you manage the success of those projects? Like, How do you maintain your motivation and keep it going through your whole entire matriculation? Like, How do you get that, all of that together and manage your own personal stress and also the stress of your team members, whether you see it or whether you don't see it? As you go along in your career, that pressure just continues to increase. And so using different techniques to allow you to, to manage that is super important. I'll share with you, Matt, this story I, I share with, with everybody. I even shared it with my kids. But, you know, as you go along in your career, right, no matter what career it is, you know, let's think of juggling, right? So, hey, here you go, Matt. Here's two balls. You're getting started, right? And then all of a sudden, Matt goes, yeah, he's conquered those tasks. And now, okay, Matt, you're doing pretty good. Here, here's two more balls. So now Matt's juggling four balls at work. Well, guess what? At the same time, well, Matt, you know, he's developing his family, right? Or his uh, non-work side. So he's juggling balls in his life. And it just so happens that as you continue to become more senior, in your work and you get more balls to juggle, you have more balls in your life that you have to juggle. And it comes down to this, Matt, is you have to learn to understand what balls can you drop at a certain time that you can then go back and pick up. Because reality is, is if you're not able to prioritize those, you're going to have some of those, what we call glass balls drop, which really those are the ones that you want to make sure that you don't drop. And there'll be times in your life where you have a life event that you cannot miss it. And only you can recognize that and only you can prioritize that. And at the same time, you will do it knowing that, okay, this ball at work, I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick it up. And I know how much effort I'm going to have to take now to make sure that that ball goes back up. So that's broad, right? That's what I tell you broad. Now, in terms of how do you keep a team motivated, right? Sometimes we have a project that's a year long in design, right? We would uh, give you an example. We had a a project up at Burlington Air National Guard. It took us a year to do that design. And as a project manager, the team looks for you to kind of set the tone in terms of the positive, in terms of staying focused on the task at hand. And there's something I like to uh, remind folks in that journey and, and is always to not lose track of the goal in mind, right? So when we start a task knowing that, hey, what are we trying to accomplish here? And let's not lose sight of that along the way. And you do that by staying really engaged with your team, 
super important, right? If you're going to manage a project successfully, you have to be involved. You have to have routine touch points with the team. Most projects that we execute that that are a year or longer, we're meeting weekly, Matt. You know, we're having weekly meetings. And in some cases, they may only take 20 minutes. But just being able to to do that touch point, make sure that we're uh, bringing up any critical items, allows us to kind of start to set that team dynamic and and continue that energy that you're talking about to get you through the tough times. And then making sure that you're always team oriented when you're doing that, Matt. You know, a lot of times when we execute projects, you know, we have team members that are working other projects concurrently. So it's important for you as a project manager to have a really good tab on your teams and how they're doing workload wise so that you can be there to help them manage. And, and in cases where maybe they're, they got too much on their plate, you can work with them and help them make sure that they're getting the help they need to be able to kind of push it through. But that's on the design team side. But as a project manager, you also have to bring that to the client side. You know, the client's looking towards you to make sure that you're going to be providing that energy to take it to the end. And that's something that you do also through routine touch points. On uh, projects like that, we're talking to the clients weekly. We're having a weekly progress call with them and just touching base. And like I said, sometimes it's a short call. might be 30 minutes. It might be an hour. But it gives us a chance to make sure that items aren't lingering on and that we're always focused on the goal at hand. So those are some of the things that we do to kind of help keep that energy going. One of the things that I took with that and something that I've experienced in my own personal life was the juggling analogy that you were using. I've always said, you know, to friends and colleagues that in this adult life, it's like there's no such thing as a balance, really. You're trying your best to achieve that balance, but it's not really actually possible. You kind of just have to pick up and put down whatever you think is necessary at that point in time. You know, like you might have to focus more on, you know, working. So you might have to grind it out there. And there might be some times where you have to dwindle on work a little bit. So maybe you can't offer your services as much as you would have done in the past, where maybe you can't go above and beyond at that point in time, still doing the right thing, you know, still getting all of your work done, but not making yourself overly exposed in that because you have to focus on family, you know, like things like that just happens. It's the balancing act. Sometimes you're going to drop a ball, but it's okay. You know, as long as you just pick it up and keep on going, failing forward, I think is one of the things that we really have to embrace as much as possible because it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen and how you can react to that happening as well. Absolutely. You had a spot on, and Matt, and, and this concept of, of balance, I tell you, more and more I've heard the term integration. It's more life work-life integration you know, as you go through because it's exactly as you're noting it, you know? Yeah, I think that integration is definitely a much better word than in the work-life balance concept, because the, the word does not exist. The limit does not exist there. <laughs> Another thing that I like that you said was about the kickoff meetings. You know, it's not very often that we see that managers or directors or people in upper level management positions are having meetings so often with either their clients or their staff. And I think that is absolutely important. In fact, one of our uh, courses, we give a project management accelerator course, right? It's one of the key things that we talk about in there. We want to make sure that we're having touch points. We're having meetings, like informal meetings, even if that's a terminology that we can use here in this case. Not everything has to be like this large, grandiose meeting setup, but you need to have make sure that your team is on the same page. And how do you do that? 
by making sure that you guys are looking each other either face to face on Zoom, virtually, phone calls, whatever it is, whatever it may be, but just making sure that everybody's on the same page at every given moment because otherwise things slip through the cracks. I have seen personally that as far as like the touch points go, it might be once every two weeks, once a month or so. That's not often enough as it requires for our field specifically. Once a week, I think is fine, but it's even better if you have multiple mini checkpoints within the week sometimes. I mean, at that point, what can actually go wrong? Everybody's communicating very, very actively. And it also shows to the client side too, that you care, you're present, you're making sure that you're getting the job done. All of their needs are being met and conveyed from team to team. What can go wrong, right? Absolutely. 100% agree. I see that you have experience in the military design. So I see that you design facilities and infrastructure for military-based developments and also weapon systems. So what are some key challenges that you've encountered and how have you overcome them in those respective tasks or fields? That's been a, a highlight uh, for me in my 24 career here at Parsons McDonald. I'll give you an example. We did a project for the Burlington Air National Guard. I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it was for the F-35 bed down. And this was the first F-35 bed down for the Air National Guard. So super excited and proud really to be involved in that program. F-35, for your viewers that, that don't know, it's, it's a, a fighter aircraft for the U.S. Air Force. It's the uh, chosen aircraft for the Department of Defense, at least from a initial uh, fighter jet standpoint. We do have other fighter jets, of course, in the U.S. Air Force arsenal. But where we come in, Matt, is we'll come in and we'll design the facilities needed to support that aircraft. And that aircraft is referenced as, as a weapon system because that's what it is. And, and the term bed down is, is referred to where that aircraft is going to be operated from. So in this case, you know, for the Burlington Air National Guard, that's where the operations were going to happen. And in order to maintain that aircraft, you need aircraft hangars, uh, maintenance hangars, you need fuel cell hangars, you need corrosion control hangars. There's a series of different facilities that are needed to support this aircraft. And so some of the challenges that uh, typically we experience in a case like that, you're going into an existing installation, right? An existing installation that already has existing infrastructure. And now you're trying to analyze what are some of the capacities of those infrastructures so that you can upgrade them as needed to support the, the new facilities. These um, new facilities that are needed to support this aircraft, they have unique requirements. You know, it's not a standard hangar. Uh, the aircraft uses specialized power, specialized cooling, and all those things tend to have a, a large demand on some of the infrastructure. So going through that process and in identifying all those, usually you end up with some ins and outs as you try to, to make ends meet. But along with that, Matt, you also have the concept of a new weapon system. So the F-35, even though it's already being used, it's still being manufactured. And, and what that means is there's still changes and tweaks that are being made as it relates to the facilities that support them. So we had cases where even as we're doing the design some of the requirements were changing. So now we had to go back and change some of the grounding design. We have to go back and change some of the lightning protection design. So keeping up with those changes as you're progressing your design, those can be a little bit challenging. But again, going back to what I said, you stay focused on the end. You have good communication with your client, with the user groups. That's what allows you to really overcome some of those as you're progressing through your design. So let's talk about 
emerging trends, right? Like we're now in this AI age, technology is just getting bigger and badder every single day. So can you highlight any emerging trends or innovations in military-based development and infrastructure for that matter? Like what new moves are happening in your space? I tell you, the one that comes to mind, and we actually uh, used it earlier this year, I was up at uh, Robbins Air Force Base. We were designing an aircraft hangar there as well. And so one of the, the really cool technologies that are out there now is is VR, right? Virtual uh, reality. And so what we were able to do with that, Matt, is we were able to go in into the kickoff and working group. You know, this is where we're meeting with the actual users. So we're meeting with the pilots. We're meeting with the maintainers. And we're trying to capture all the requirements that are needed for this hangar facility. Well, you know, these are individuals that are super skilled at their job, but they may not be as knowledgeable in reading floor plans, right? Just 2D floor plans. It's, you know, for you and me, maybe it's a little bit easier. We've been doing that throughout our career. For somebody that hasn't done that, it's a little harder for them to visualize spaces. We've brought in VR and uh, have them walk through the spaces. So even before we complete the design before it's built, they get an opportunity to put those goggles on and actually see the space. Okay, that's where my workbench is going to be. Okay, that's where my 400 hertz outlet is going to be. And being able to give them that opportunity to then give us feedback is just one more level of fine tuning in giving them the design that they need so that when the building's done, they're walking in and they're like, yep, this is exactly what I visualized. So that, that was pretty cool. And by the way, getting some of these pilots on the VR, you'd be surprised how quickly they can navigate. Their sense of orientation and just moving around is amazing. I'm glad that you guys are using virtual reality. Like that was something that was so futuristic back in the day, you know, and now it's like it's at our fingertips and we're able to use it for good causes in the engineering industry. Like that's awesome. Do you guys have like a preferred brand that you guys use when it comes to that? Like, are there any household brands or, or names that you use. I mean, I would have thought that you guys were either using like those Apple goggles that I've seen on YouTube. Like they have these awesome, expensive glasses. This is what's pretty cool. We're using that Oculus headset. And so with that Oculus, there's a lot of different other third-party software that you can use to leverage it. That's also pretty cool because that Oculus headset, pretty readily available to folks. So in the case where we delivered that for a client there at Robbins, at the end of the project, when we were done, we created a small little walkthrough that they could view without having to pay any licenses or anything. All they needed was a, an Oculus set, and they can go in there and tour the facility. To And we did it, Matt, as a way they wanted to get their maintainers kind of pumped up that the facility was getting built. And that was a way for them to, to give their maintainers a, a really realistic view of what was coming. So Oculus headset with some other third-party software, it worked great. That is, is such a brilliant idea because when you think about it, no one else in the industry is actually really offering that. Or maybe we just don't know about it, but a company like Brands and McDonald saying that they have the ability to give you guys a virtual reality tour of the building that you guys are actually paying to have designed. That just seals the deal. Like That's awesome. Who else can actually say that they do that? Yeah, it's amazing. And I tell you, watching the pilots and the maintainer's face when they did that tour, that that's the part that's very cool. I can even see that maybe even in the future, there might be a way that those Oculus headsets are going to be used, not just for the surveying of the 
you know, conceptual plans, but the actual design of the whatever it is that you're installing, I think that that would be completely revolutionary at that point. Now let's talk about your project management efforts. So you're obviously a project manager. So could you give us some project management habits that you use in your work and your style and, you know, maybe things that you pass down to people that report to you? If you're an engineer and, and you have an interest in, in becoming a project manager, I tell you, really make sure that you really zone in on your core engineering experience because that's what's going to give you a good sounding base for you as a project manager. And so a lot of times I know, you know, you start your career, you're anxious, you're ready for the next step. Just remember, you know, it takes a lifetime to build a career. And sometimes uh, a little patience helps with that. But, you know, for project managers, I tell you, there's a couple of things that I like to remind that, that have helped me along the way. The first one is, and this is for anything, remember people first. Our people is what we're using to deliver a product, you know. And so if you always keep your team first, if you always put your client first, good things are going to happen. I like to remind folks of that. The other thing is, and you hit on it a little bit, is the importance of building that team dynamic. You're going to go through and, and tackle different projects as a project manager, and there'll be different challenges that you face, no matter the size of the project. In fact, some of the smaller projects, Matt, are the ones that become the most headache ones. But I tell you some of the things that will help you along, and this is true at any level and for any size project, you need to remain solution-oriented. There's so many times that issues come about and sometimes folks get stuck on the issue and, oh, this issue, issue. No, it, it's always about, okay, how do we move forward? How do we, what do we need to do to keep this moving forward so we can achieve our end game? As a PM, you need to be the one that fosters that. You need to be the one to help your team see through any clouds that you encounter. You will see clouds. And I would submit to you that you also need to be that for the client. You need to be the person that helps them see through that and maintain always your set on the target. We've seen scenarios as well where the clients face challenges and people throw their hands up. Well, I don't know what to do. That doesn't help. you know. So in cases where you can always stay on that mindset of looking at the solution, it's going to help. Because I tell you, every project will run into challenges. The next piece, and this is just expanding on what you already said, Matt, is, is that personal connection. The best performing teams out there they care about each other. They've formed a connection. They've formed a personal connection. And that's not just the design team itself. That's the client included. That's is what's going to put you in a position, Matt, to have those difficult discussions when they do come, because they will come. And can you imagine having a difficult discussion with somebody that you haven't had the chance to build a relationship with? It makes it really tough. And so being able to develop that early is super important. We always say, you know, in the projects we do at Burns and McDonald, technically they're very hard. And so you need to have a really strong technical base. That's at the core of it. But we are in a service industry, Matt. And so along with that technical base, you have to have awesome customer experience and awesome service. You can be the best at what you are. You can be the very best, the smartest. But if you're a pain in the butt to work with, people are going to go somewhere else because they can't. So as a PM, you need to set that stage. You need to be the one to kind of set that tone. And you set it with your team, and then you, you set it with the client, and you build those relationships, and that's what gets you through. There's some other little tips of the trade as you're a PM that'll help you move along, right? You know, things like 
uh, some of the mechanics, right? You should be meeting regularly, like I talked to you about. You should have an action item list. You know, those are things that sounds basic, but it allows you as a design team and as a client to make sure that nothing falls around and it holds the people on the team accountable in a good way. There's three main points that stick out to me. People first, being solution-oriented, and also having a level of expertise. Like you cannot be a successful project manager without one of those three things. You can be the best technical expert and you can have good relations, but then your products are going to end up crashing. It's just as simple as that. You know, and I think that client relations are, that's the business development piece of project management that we often miss. How else are you to bring more work to your firm, to your industry, if you don't have successful client relations? There was a, a podcast that we did some time ago. And I had interviewed um, a gentleman and he had actually talked about understanding your team members on a cognitive level. It's an absolute gem for me specifically, just because understanding who your team members are, like, because we're more than just who we are when we present ourselves at work. We have families at home, where even if you don't have a family, you're still a person. You know, you have your own way of thinking, your own way of life, your own upbringing, and that develops you and becomes this huge equation that equals who you actually are as a person, how you present yourself right now. So if we can actually understand that and understand how a person is, that we're able to understand and isolate what their strengths and their weaknesses are. We can use those things to our advantage and as far as like the strengths department and also improve the weaknesses. It's a mutually beneficial relationship at that point in time. Absolutely. Let's talk about collaboration now. Now that we're talking about people skills, getting to know your team members on a more cognitive level, just understanding who they are, that ties, I believe, right into collaboration. So can you share some of your tips for, you know, effective team communication, which we've already kind of talked about, but if there's any way that you can dive into that a little bit more, how do you communicate effectively with your team members, especially on the projects where you're working on right now in military infrastructure? And it is a good segue because we've touched on some of those, Matt, and Really, collaboration is at the heart of everything we do, right? You know, the projects that you're doing, you're collaborating internally with your team, you're collaborating with the clients and their teams and other stakeholders sometimes that, that are in the mix. And that can get super complex. And I will tell you, Matt, no matter the complexity of the project, even on the most complex projects, the ability for that project to be successful is greatly dependent on the ability of the team to communicate effectively and to collaborate. I mean, that is, you can ask time and time again, those are the things that come to mind. And it sounds like it's trivial, but it, it's not. And there's some things, you know, as a PM that you have to kind of help set that tone. And of course, you know, we talked about those routine team meetings where the team gets to interact with each other. Those are opportunities for some of that communication to happen. And as a PM, you can help facilitate those discussions to make sure that they take place and that the coordination is taking place. Sometimes uh, as a PM, you'll notice some communication that allows you to step in and, and, and then help your team take corrective action. Uh, as an example, these days, uh, sometimes folks rely a little bit too much on email. They'll sit down and they'll type uh, three paragraphs worth that should be a face-to-face -face discussion. And so that, you know, as you're in PM, you're encouraging, hey, go sit down with Matt. Hey, have the discussion. And then if you need to follow up with a confirming email, that's okay. But Really going back to that, making sure that you're not missing that opportunity to build that connection and have that face-to-face -face is super important. 
The same is true with that interaction with the clients. I can't tell you, Matt, how many times poor communication leads to a difficult conversations with clients because there was assumption made on left and right. So this is where routine touch points and then face-to-face discussions where you can or whether you can't, then, hey, that's where you pick up the phone and call. And then you follow up with a confirming email. So that's big on my list, you know, being able to, to have those are, are at the core of, of what that sets. The other piece of the puzzle is getting the design team and the client to feel like we're all part of one team. You set that uh, expectation early, Matt, because at that point, then that becomes the collaboration where you're all collaborating to get to the end. It's not the client reviewing and giving you comments. No, this is, they're all part of the design process and we're all working together to get us to the end. That's the PM driving that. That's the PM setting that tone to help the team understand that, hey, this is how we're going to get there. And this is how we're going to view these comments. This is how we're going to interact with each other. This is how we're going to interact with the client. So that's just the kind of high level, Matt, which resonates with a little bit of what you were talking earlier. You're talking about resource management. You're talking about client management, stakeholder management, which, I mean, obviously are going to drive your projects into success, right? It's not enough to just understand your particular team that you watch every single day. On these large, complex projects that you're working on right now, I'm pretty sure that it's multidisciplinary, right? So you're working with the civil group, the electrical group, you know, you're working with MEP, all of these different disciplines within your own organization. So there's internal resource planning that you have to do. Then there's also a resource plan that you have to do outside of that. You know, like if you're doing a design build or whatever kind of project may be, and you're managing the contractors that are actually doing the installation, Now you have to do resource management and planning on an entirely different level. And then how does that actually translate over to your stakeholder management working with the owner or the client of that project too? I'm really taking what you're talking about with absolutely what we've said before with the routine touch points, but also email communications, having a communication plan in place. Is it going to be something where everything is done via email? And like you said, sometimes email is too much. Sometimes email is not enough at all. And some things need to be done via a face-to-face conversation, which we don't really get to too often because we're so cooped up in our offices sometimes. So I think that a major tip that a lot of the viewers have to take today is to kind of get out of your comfort zone sometimes because us as engineers, we just get comfortable being and doing the same exact thing that we were the day before and the day before that. Instead of changing up the game for ourselves and approaching the situations and our projects in a different manner. So now everybody's on the same playing field. We've already kind of went into advancements and innovations in your industry. So, but I do have a question on how you stay updated on newly innovated or invented technologies that are coming into your industry. Like how do you guys keep track of the new things that are coming down the line? And then how do you go from that stage to checking something out and making sure that, okay, well, this is good and it's going to be beneficial for our projects and for our team and our our workforce versus, okay, well, we've already tested this thing and it's no good. We can't actually use this. How do you do that? Even if I look back at, you know, when I started 24 years ago, I would use a pen and I would mark on paper and then hand that to somebody and then they would pick it up in CAD. And, you know, if you fast forward to today, it's different ballgame. 
So for us here at Merz and Mac, I'd say, you know, we have a, a team that we identify as an innovation team. That's their, their main focus is to continual evaluation of the processes that we're using, looking out at industry to see, hey, what's available that we can test, that we can start using. The virtual reality was one of those, for example. That took several stages to get to the point where we were comfortable enough to use it on a client. And so it went through a phase of evaluation, then some small pilot testing that we did internally. And then we picked some very specific clients where we were upfront with them in terms of, hey, we have this new technology, we want to give it a try, would you be okay with that? And so that allowed us then to build the momentum to where we're now deploying the technology across the board. Uh, the same is true with everything else happening in the industry. And there's a lot happening in the industry, Matt, from construction cloud perspective to technology that's being used at construction sites to manage construction. It's a uh, ongoing, revolving. And I think what's important is to make sure you're giving your teams the bandwidth to go explore some of those. If you're not giving them that bandwidth, they're not going to be able to, to go look at, at what's out there and what they can use to improve their processes and their tools. I'm happy that we have that here, that we've carved out bandwidth for folks to kind of go explore technology and what's happening in the industry. I actually just went to a conference last week. So I went out to Nashville, Tennessee. There was an AI innovation and technology conference out there. It was from the ZWEI group. That's a Z-W-E-I-G. They were talking a lot about the new technologies that are coming out here in the industry and how they're going to be helping all of our businesses in the AAC space. And I think it's really critical for now more than ever for engineering firms of all sizes to have an innovation team or people that are going to be dedicated to innovative initiatives. Just being able to stay up to date, it's extremely important now. Like, let's go back to what we were talking about before with the virtual reality services that you guys are offering that completely changes the landscape of how you present your projects and the type of clientele that you're going to be bringing in through the door and how you retain them. So now, if there's a, another project that comes you know, by the wayside from either that client or by another client that has relations with that client that you work with, now you have a different selling point that truly sets you apart from other contractors or clients in general. Like It just truly sets you out and apart from them. So I think that that's uh, really awesome. Uh, absolutely. And it's so here with AI, Matt, as you know, it's coming. It's changing fast and it will impact our industry. And so being able to stay on top of technologies is a, a key aspect of continuing to stay up in the game. Looking back at your journey as a project manager, what advice would you give to your younger self when you were just starting out in this role? Even going back as a junior engineer, don't be shy about asking questions. I would tell myself, hey, ask questions meet a lot of people, network. You know, I think if I think back of a young Pedro that started off, you know, I was probably timid, you know, I was probably hesitant to ask, you know, feeling that, okay, is this something I should know? If I ask, are they going to think different of me? And, you know, and so if you have a question, ask it, you know, you're going to find yourself, you're surrounded by folks that are, that are going to be willing to help you. And so the more you can ask, the more you can network, those are all things that, that you'll help you build your experiences and help you uh, get to learn the craft. And then I would also remind myself, listen, no matter the task, always approach it with a sense of urgency and with a sense of pride. You know what I mean? 
bring high energy to what you do. And that'll resonate. You mentioned it earlier, Matt, when you talked about client expect, you know, that you're putting the effort, you know, they, they see that. If you're passionate about what you do, they'll see that. And so early on, raise your hand. Raise your hand a lot. Uh, this needs to be done. Okay, I don't know how to do it, Matt, but let me give it a try. I think you, if you take that approach into your career, you're going to find that you're going to be able to uh, build a lot of connections. You're going to grow your base and you will have a lot of doors open for you. I really resonate with that a lot because if I could go back, I would definitely want to ask more questions. I think that that resonates with a lot of us as engineers now because there's just so many things that we learn at this stage where it's just like, well, you know, if I had actually peered into this at an earlier age, at an earlier stage, I might have been a lot farther along. I don't think that any question is really a dumb question at the end of the day. And if your director, or your upper level management, or whoever it is that you report to is really trying to foster your growth, they will answer those questions that you have. And they'll help you get to that stage. This is a game of us having as much skin in it as we possibly can in order for us to get as far as we possibly can here. And not opening your mouth and speaking definitely takes away from the experience that you're going to get and the knowledge that you're going to gain over time too. So that really resonates with me as well. So the final question I just wanted to ask, if there's any advice that you have for any aspiring engineers or any aspiring project managers who are interested in pursuing a career that's similar to yours, how would they be able to get into the space that you're in right now? There's a couple of different ways, you know, and, and really, uh, even though we're talking, you know, the track of becoming an engineer and then from an engineer becoming a project manager, there's other tracks if that you can get to uh, to be a project manager. There's some other disciplines that have evolved over the last two decades. As an example, back when I started, electrical engineers did the communication design as well. Well, guess what? Nowadays, uh, those are done by registered communication distribution designers. And so that's a, a different avenue that you can pursue. But my advice would be learn the aspects of your discipline well as you're going early in your career. And that'll set you with the best base so then you can tackle on project management. And along the way, take as many notes as you can in terms of watching how other people operate. You're going to get a chance along the way to work with many different project managers. And, and every time you do, you're going to learn things. And, and you'll use that to form your own flavor of what you want to be as a project manager. But those, all those experiences will help shape into something that, that you want to be able to deliver. That would be my advice, Matt. Just uh, make sure that you take in the moment. You know, a lot of times, if you get too distracted on, on what's out there, you forget the opportunities that are in front of you. And if you can focus on what's in front of you and deliver success and help deliver success to those around you, good things will happen and it'll allow you to progress in your career. There's just so many different gems that I've gotten from this. It's hard to kind of list them all, but keeping your eyes forward, keeping the goal in mind, being solution-oriented, effective communication, weekly touch points. I think that these are all absolutely key for us to be successful project managers. So now we're going to take a little break, be back with uh, Mr. Constanza, and we're going to get into our PM pitfall segment.
All right, everyone, we are back. Thank you all for tuning back in with the Engineering Project Management Podcast. So right now we're going to get into the PM Pitfall segment with uh, Pedro Constanzo. So we want to ask you, Pedro, what are the biggest PM pitfalls that you've identified in your career and how would you recommend overcoming those things or avoiding them? And, you know, we're talking to all of the project managers that are out there. So what advice would you give them on how to overcome those pitfalls that you've identified personally? That's a really good question. And I tell you, in some of these pitfalls that you fall into, no matter whether you're project manager or else, it's certainly opportunity for you to learn for the next at bat, right, and get better. The one that comes to mind, Matt, just the concept of being transparent when you run into challenges. And, and I ran into a situation where I was not upfront fast enough with the client on the challenges that we were facing. And you've heard the phrase before, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time. And so in cases where you're faced with challenges, being able to be transparent with your client as a team member or with your team, it's going to allow you to put yourself in a better position to see your way through that challenge. And as you're tackling that, I would tell you that it's not just coming to your client and saying, hey, I have this issue and and I want to share it with you. You got to come to the table also with what's the solution, right? So spend some time, be able to identify, okay, well, this is the challenge. How are we going to get through this? What are some of the options that we can do? And then bring it and sit down with your client or, or team at that point. Say, okay, well, this is what we're faced with. These are some of the options of how we can move forward. And then collectively set a way forward. And this kind of stems back to that whole concept of always solution-oriented, Matt. If you approach it in that manner and you're transparent, that's always going to lead to good things. And I know it can require sometimes some very uncomfortable discussions, but those don't get better with time, right? And so being able to uh, tackle those early, it's going to put you, your team, and the client in the best position to move forward. The quote that you just used, like, with uncomfortable conversations don't get better with time is, I think... Hey, like that's the gem right there in itself. It doesn't. And things need to be addressed on the forefront. And this is everything that we've already been talking about pretty much, which is, you know, just leading to effective communication. Transparency is huge. Another thing that we talk about in a major way in our project management accelerator course is scope creep and also hope creep as well. When you're having these projects, they're going on about and you're having some challenges with getting the project done, you know, you're having some challenges achieving some certain milestones. What happens when then you have a change in scope? You know, you have to go get a change order. That completely messes everything up. Now you wish that you would have had the conversation beforehand about the challenges that you're facing. The bad news gets even worse. That's something that we definitely have to avoid. I think that's absolutely key. It doesn't help anybody to hold in bad news. You might as well face it and talk about it because there might actually be a level of understanding depending on the client that you're talking to. And again, with successful client management, successful stakeholder management, being able to have a informal meeting with them or talk or touch point with them every so often, it shows that you're trying to put your best foot forward. You might just be going through a challenge. But it's more acceptable should you have actually been having conversations with them prior to. It just makes it much easier. So why not make the job easier for yourself? Project management in itself is already hard. You know, like I don't have any hair, you don't have any hair. We've already come to the project management, right? I don't want to get any more bald than I am right now. The way that I can avoid that is by having good transparency on my side to make sure that 
we're all on one accord. So I really appreciate those tips that you've given us. And um, I thank you for your time and coming here on the podcast and uh, blessing us with this good word today. Thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it. Please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode at www.engineeringpmpodcast.com. And there you'll find a summary of all the key points that we discussed in today's episode, as well as any of the links, the resources, or websites that we mentioned in today's episode as well. Until next time, I wish you all the very, very best in your project management endeavors. Take care.